Hi, I'm Liz Stokel. And I'm Debbie Rude. We're Dancing with Skeletons. We know what it's like to keep our past hidden away, like skeletons in a closet. We also know the healing that comes from acknowledging who we used to be and how much we've learned. So every once in a while, we dance with our skeletons. So come dance with us. Hi, Liz. Good morning, Deb. How's it going? It is going well. Yeah. Yesterday was our son's 34th birthday. Wow. 34th birthday. How did he's that a, happen? He's an old man. He has more gray hair than me. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea if it's true or not. Well, um, does, does he dye his hair? He does not. Oh, well, there um, you go. So he has quite a bit of gray hair. You know, he is such a special human being. Yeah. That that second son of mine. I mean, of course, all of our kids are special. They are. But that second son of mine is just really um, a unique and interesting young man. Yeah. And I just, I love being around him. So, you know, celebrating his birth was, is phenomenal. And I think I saw, uh, didn't you post some cute little pictures of him? I did, of him, of mm-hmm. him as a baby. Yeah. Because yeah, he does not... He will not let me post pictures of him, you know, anything that was taken after his first birthday. Why? So, well, you know, it's about privacy. Yeah. It's about privacy, okay. And, okay. you know. But uh, he's just he's just really grown up to be a good man. So it was fun celebrating him yesterday. Very good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And yesterday, no, day before yesterday, you had your second vaccine. I had my second uh, meltdown. Yes, yeah. I, I did. It yeah. was great, Liz. It was great. It's great being me. It's great being in this body. <laughs> so, God. so you, I just, you and I share something and that is anxiety. So, yeah. so tell me about your week. Tell me about well, anxiety. And, you know, I know intellectually that getting a vaccine is a good thing. Right. I really, really do. And I really, believe that we should be vaccinated. At the same time, I'm terrified of it. Absolutely terrified, not of the needle, not of the pain. I, I, I was telling someone a couple of days ago, I gave birth twice with, right. with n- no drugs, people, no drugs. Right. <laughs> so a little needle in my arm is not going to phase me. But it's this unknown and hearing all these horror stories of potential side effects and you're going to be in bed all day. You're going to be throwing up. You're going to have, you know, this and that. And it's just the, that anticipation and not knowing just freaks me out. And yeah. and it it probably is more PTSD-related kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to kind of go back into my, my history and try to think of incidences where I had like medical things that were really scary. There's a couple, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just gives me, I mean, I literally sit in the chair and cry. And, and the, the lady who <laughs> gave me my shot, I know her. Yeah. She's in our choir. Oh, okay. And, oh, nice. and she's, I'm like weeping. Yeah. Like I just, I'm freaked out. And then, so I get the shot and then it's like, okay. And then I feel like for the next four or five hours, I'm just like, I'm waiting, I, I'm for, waiting it. Yeah. for it to hit. Yeah. I can't focus. I can't focus on my work. I can't focus on even eating lunch. I'm just waiting for it. Right. And like, it's gripping, it's gripping fear. And, and then, you know, four or five hours pass. Now I'm feeling kind of tired. Now I have a little slight headache and I actually have a little slight headache today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, but other than that, you haven't yeah, had any yeah, major I mean, reactions like, at all. I, I'm still breathing. I haven't died. Yesterday, I was having a weird pain in my leg. I was imagining that I had a blood clot. Totally, totally freaked out. I'm Googling it. I'm, I'm had nothing to do, I'm sure, with the vaccine at all. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, rather than scare our so listeners dumb. and so frighten dumb, our listeners, it's what are so some dumb. of the other um, things that you have anxiety about? What are some of, <sighs> you know, I mean, you're not just anxious about the vaccine. No. 
yeah. So there, you have you have a buffet of anxieties from which I do. Oh my! Well, I really, really do have health anxiety, and okay. and um, I've had that since since I was a child. And what's funny about it is my sister has it, so she and I both we we crack up on the phone because we we both suffer from this. Fear that right. something's wrong, any little thing, you know, and so we've talked really in depth about it, and and all of our kids have similar tendencies. Do they to be have have weird health anxieties and things? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't think our mom and dad necessarily has those, so we're not exactly sure. But what I am sure of is growing up. In an environment where you're not safe, and I was not. Right. I was not physically safe, I didn't feel, and I wasn't necessarily emotionally safe. Right. I think that is the foundation of a lot of where my anxieties come from. And so I've spent years and years and years trying to overcome that. And, you know, I and I really, really have in in, in a lot of areas, but... Like I said, this vaccine thing, part of it is just all the stuff you hear on the news and all the conspiracy theory and all, all these things. Turn off the news. Bill Gates <laughs> is going to be putting a chip in your arm and all this stuff. And a needle is way too small for a chip. Right. <laughs> There's nothing going into your arm. Right. So, I mean, and I know all that, you yeah. know. So, yeah. but I do. I have I have some pretty deep-seated fears, Um yeah, I, you know, Brene Brown says environment loads the uh, 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 yeah. genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger, yeah. and so we can be born with these propensities or mm-hmm. these you know proclivities. You're towards, bent. You're bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, towards um, fears or towards um, you know everything from yeah. your talent to yeah. your yeah. to your personality, yeah. right? And, but it's your environment that then pulls the trigger. And so, you know, I knew, like, I knew that my children were being born into a genetic pool that had a lot of addictions Mm -hmm. and had a lot of um, uh, liars (laughs) 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 and manipulators. Did you you see the movie Soul? Yes. Remember the scene where the little souls... Like this, the, the the there's like the the head soul person, and she's she or he or the 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 entity is kicking him out. This one's gonna have anxiety. This one's gonna be self-absorbed. This one's gonna be. Do you remember? That? Yes, I do. Makes I do. me think. Oh, this one's gonna have anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. So I knew that that my kids were going to be born into this genetic pool. Yeah. And so it was my desire to to put them in a safe place. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about safe places. And and I think both of us found ourselves in situations where we believed we were safe. But then we weren't. We weren't. And so it's not just being in the unsafe space that causes so much anxiety and PTSD and those kinds of things, but it's the... It's the fact that you allowed yourself to get into this safe space that you believed was safe, that you were going to be protected, mm-hmm. and then you were betrayed. So now there's all of these things going on. There's the betrayal. There's right. the the loss of trust. There's, you know, the fear factor. All of that, and then you have, see. See, I was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, this is a bad situation. Right. Why would I want to go to another situation if it it's just one bad situation right. after another? And it becomes so this we kind end of up a in a loop. cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do know from from being in years of of therapy work that when children are in unsafe environments when their little brains are developing, right. um, they what what happens is. The, the because the brain is developing in a certain way, if if traumatic things happen or or there's a lot of fear and a lot of stress, the the brain kind of stops mm. in in its normal kind of patterns of of developing, and then the kid ends up in grown up with you know a grown up body a grown up a body with brain. with brains that have like missing 
I'll, I mean, that's a real simple way to say it, but kind of missing chunks mm-hmm. of development that are really, really necessary. And as I've looked at my own life and looked looked at the things that trigger me, um, I can really, really see that. I can really, really see how I was, I'm missing certain, you know, developmental phases where I can't, it'll, it's, it's so ironic, the things that will trigger. And it, we talked earlier, it, things will just come out of the blue and, and all of a sudden you're spinning into some emotional hole. And where does that come from? Because I mean, I'm an adult, I'm grown up. I'm, for the most part, pretty confident in who I am and what I'm doing, and yet it can take one sentence or it can take 10 seconds of seeing something on TV or for me, right. and, and I'm gone. I'm just, like a funnel just sucks me down, and I have to, you know, find, find the, the handles to, to not let myself go all the way down. Whoa, stop myself. And it's sometimes really, really difficult. So I've found myself in that place a handful of times this week. So so besides the the vaccine, can you talk about any of the other things that kind of triggered your spiral? Yeah, I I have, have, um, how will I say, without it sounding, because I don't want to come off like I'm a victim or anything like that, because I'm, I truly am past those those kinds of thoughts right and that but at the same time I recognize when it old patterns old patterns right Right. so I I get triggered by silly things and I and I have this kind of deep fear that whoever I'm with is going to leave Hmm. so it can just be something minor right that can trigger a thought and then all of a sudden in my mind I've developed this big whole scenario and and the person's gonna be gone and I'm so your husband tells you that he doesn't really like the food that you prepared that night it's not his favorite meal and 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 pretty much and and that that did happen yesterday (laughs) that exact thing happened last night and and so it's not personal no it's just he's just letting you know that this is not his favorite he he liked it but there was no protein in it because we didn't it was late, and neither of us wanted to cook anything, and so I pulled some stuff out of the fridge, and I kind of made a vegetable thing and put it on top of rice, but there was no, like, chicken or something. Right. And I could tell it just wasn't, and it's like, it was great for me, because right. I could never eat meat. I right. don't, you know, but it's right. like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And now you're sent down this rabbit hole where mm-hmm. you're just sure that he's going to leave you right. because he's unhappy with the because food he would that you much prefer. rather be with somebody younger, cuter, and who can cook. <laughs> and I'm just sure of it, you know. So, and he can say a thousand times that that's not true, right. and it's still right. Yeah, I understand it's that kind just, of anxiety. You know, I think that uh, I think that for you and 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 for me because my husband and I were having this conversation last night. And that is that you're an empath. Right. You see things on the news. You see things, you see stories in the news. Mm-hmm. You see the homeless outside of mm-hmm. uh, this very office. And you are moved. Right. Uh, you're moved to want to do, want to take action. Mm-hmm. You're moved to uh, care and concern for them. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way. I told my husband that after this latest um, attack on massage parlors, oh. and there is talk that it may be out of hatred for Asians. Um, you know, they, they don't know yet. They're not inside this guy's head. But we do know that there's been a number of Asian attacks mm-hmm. um, over the last several months, mm-hmm. ever since this virus has been called yes. the China virus, right. and I- etc. There's been... Some horrible hate crimes against elderly. Elderly that, okay, that's a really good example. I saw that clip on the news, Liz. See, I'm going to tear up. Yeah. I saw that clip of that guy running up and knocking that old man over and killing him. Yeah. And I lost it. I lost it. Yeah. And I had to, I I said, John, I I, I have to go. Yeah. (laughs) You know? 
It's horrendous. It's horrendous. And I think that, you know, my husband said, you need to stop. You need to stop carrying the weight of the world on you. It's not about you. And I know that it's not about me, but I, and I'm not carrying that burden. I'm just feeling it so deeply. And the thing is, Liz, is that you can't make yourself stop feeling. Right. You can't. I mean... you know, I or, be... or, or worrying or whatever it is, it's really hard. When, I mean, it affects you viscerally. Mm-hmm. And you can't turn off your your automatic systems that that turn on when you see those things. Right. You just, it's really, really hard to do. I was telling my husband that I will be at the gym and I'm just on the treadmill and I've got my little mask on and I've got my headphones in. I'm in the zone. I'm not even paying attention to people that are around me. But I will see, you know, an older Asian woman walk past me. And I just want to jump off the treadmill and give her a hug. Right. And just tell her, I want you to know that I love you. And yet that is going to sound like right. racist. That's yeah. going right. to sound like I'm overcompensating. Right. That's going to sound like maybe I've got something that right. I need to I, apologize for. I totally for. get that. And so I'm like, what do I do? But I all of a sudden tears will be coming down my face because I want to hug her. Right. Or I'll see, you know, a, an older heavyweight woman who is just trying so hard to move mm-hmm. and I want to hug her right. and I want to tell her she's beautiful right. and I want to tell her that I can tell by looking at her body yeah. see, <laughs> that she has lived a life right. and that she has accomplished a whole lot right. and to be grateful for that body and appreciate that body. And so those are the kinds of things that move me and it's like, why? Why am I so emotional about this? Right. Well, it's because you probably have experiences like that. I mean... Yeah. It's, I, I'm reminded of, um, uh, this was years ago and I, I walked into like a 7-Eleven or something like that early in the morning and there was a guy in there that was all tatted up and I can't remember his race, honestly. I don't know if he was a black man or a Hispanic man or Asian man, I don't know. Yeah. But he was a big guy. Right. And he was all tatted up. And he was scary looking. Yeah, yeah. And it was just me and him and whoever was at the, the cash register. And I walked in and I had this immediate feeling of fear of like and and, and I remember and I and I'm telling this story because I wish I could do this when at those triggering moments. So I because I, I, I was able to change my thought. Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff is stems from our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. believe that. But in that moment, I was able to go, no, I don't need to be afraid of him. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. <laughs> and so instead of freaking out and thinking, you know, whatever, I went over there and stood by him and got my coffee and said, hey, good morning, man. How's it going? And I just... He was really super nice. Yeah. And we had just a lovely little chat, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And because I I was aware enough in that particular moment to change my thought, I was able to, you know, have a really good, great experience with that guy. And I feel like triggers and anxiety and those kind of things are kind of related to that. Like if you could just catch yourself in the moment you know that it's a triggering thought, to be able to go, no, <laughs> no, take it back, take it take back. It back. <laughs> but I think because some of those experiences run so, so deep in us and happened to us so long ago that right. it's really hard to grab hold of those, those little handlebars that are, you know, mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole to stop yourself from doing that and... It's just, it's really, really hard. Yeah. So, you know, yesterday after, I don't know, 10 hours and I wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't yesterday. It was the day before. I think I was able to kind of relax. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. 
You know, I have a very strong memory of being under the age of two. So I I know this because my sister was not yet born, and we are 22 months apart. So my mother was very pregnant with me, and I remember being in the bathtub a little tiny bathroom. And I do know the apartment that we lived in when I was that age, Mm -hmm. when my sister was born. So I have an idea of how big that apartment might have been. I was never inside of it other than when I was a baby, but I've seen it on the outside. And so I know that it was a very tiny little space. But when I'm under the age of two, I'm in the bathtub. The bathroom is very, very small. I mean, you could probably, as an adult, I could probably stand up in the bathtub and touch the mirror okay. on the wall. Okay. You know, it was just a very small, small little room. But I remember, and I've talked to my mother about this, I remember that my parents were fighting, and one of them, I, I think it was my mom, but... I, I could be I could be mistaken, yeah, yeah, so yeah, let me. Yeah, but yeah. one of them threw a broom out of anger at the other one, and it went into the bathroom window and broke it. Oh, <gasps> yeah. So I'm like I said, I'm and under you're the right. age of two, and I'm sitting in the bathtub yeah. and I'm watching this happen, and the broom goes flying by me and breaks the <laughs> and breaks the the bathroom window. Now my parents, I I have to say that my parents did not fight a lot. They got divorced when I was about nine, mm-hmm. um, and I I remember some kind of loud fights in the last year or mm-hmm. or two, mm-hmm. but I don't remember necessarily a lo- necessarily a lot of fights right. before that. Um, but I do remember this, and you know what's interesting is that. I grew up then not afraid of my parents, mm-hmm. either one of them. Right. But I grew up having this sense that I needed to be good mm-hmm. and I needed to um, protect them mm-hmm. and I needed to take care of things and I needed to make sure that I didn't stir the pot. Were you the oldest? I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. And um, I just, and, and I wonder. If that, that comes from, I mean, we've talked before about my origin story, kind of, where, yeah. you know, my, my mother did kind of put me in charge of mm-hmm. my siblings mm-hmm. after the parents got divorced, and I, and I uh, babysat, and I watched yeah, them as a, you know, 11-year-old. So I did have a lot of responsibility, but I kind of, it, it goes back to that day in the bathtub when I'm under two. And I, I really do think that my, my mind was, you know, just keep it, keep it cool, keep it calm. And all of my other siblings uh, uh, got into trouble periodically, you know, they would be themselves, mm-hmm. they would, you know, and I don't feel like any of them lived under any kind of preconceived ideas to how they were supposed to behave. Right. They just got to behave. And, and, be, and be a kid. And be a kid. Right. And sometimes they were wild and loud and naughty. And sometimes they were awesome and beautiful and talented. And, you know, all those things that humans are. Right. And yet I grew up feeling like I needed to not rock the boat. Mm-hmm. That I needed to be the good one. That I needed to be the, the straight one. That I needed to be the strong one. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I think it's not just the fact that I was the oldest, but also these very, very early experiences that I well, had. And when you have also, and I learned this about, you know, brain development and stuff, but when you have like something like that, That was probably really scary, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it was loud. You're in the water. You're naked. Right. So, But you also don't have a lot of language skills yet at age two. Right. You you probably do have some. And, I mean, there are some exceptional two-year-olds who can, you know. Right. I was not that. But, but, you know, normal. (laughs) I was just a normal two-year-old. I mean, normal two-year-olds can talk and understand, but they don't necessarily have access to full language and understanding what it's about, what's happening, Mm -hmm. but they have their feelings. And so that fear, you're two, you're naked, you're in a bathtub, and a a broom flies by you and breaks a window, that's scary. So now, now maybe, you know, it's like kind of like the whole Pavlov's Pavlov's dog (laughs) thing, where, you know, you hear a bell and they go and eat. Well, you hear a loud noise and you get... It scares you. I mean, there's that's PTSD. Right. And, you know, I think most human beings have had some sort of a 
traumatic thing. Mm-hmm. What I understand about those things is when when you have a traumatic event that happens um, after your brain is all the way developed, it still can be bad, but it's more recoverable. Like if you get help, you know, you can more or less re- recover, I'll say, right. from that. Um, or there's a higher likelihood that you can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can overcome traumas too when if they've happened to you as a child, but it, it takes longer. It's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. some, there's some tricky parts to it. So, I mean, I just, I'm getting this vision of you being this little, <laughs> little cute little girl in the tub and the thing, you know, I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah, it really is. You know, and you know, I used to not really understand PTSD. You, you know, we grew up in the era of Vietnam mm-hmm. and, you know, my earliest memories, I have very, very early memories of my parents talking about the Korean conflict. Mm-hmm. And then there was Vietnam And, of course, you know, there's been some wars since then, Afghanistan, you know, Operation Desert Storm and all those kinds of things. But um, I I understood when the men returned from Vietnam, I was old enough to kind of understand that there was um, dissension Mm -hmm. among the, the the people back home right. about those men coming home that there was um, people who were completely against our our involvement in Vietnam mm-hmm. there were people who were supportive of it mm-hmm. but when the men came home they were not received as heroes and right. stuff like they were in World War II and so I was old enough to kind of get it to mm-hmm. kind of understand that there was a problem <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I don't think I understood what the problem was sure but I definitely un- heard the term PTSD and I always thought it was from specific a specific experience you know there's you know you were shot or you were beat up or you were whatever and then you have PTSD from that experience it wasn't until I was older that I developed PTSD and not from a specific experience but from um from trauma that happened continually, continually. Mm -hmm. a continual trauma that went on over the course of five or six years Mm -hmm. and it was stuff that went on and we had no support for it. Mm-hmm. So we had no, you know, we just were in it by ourselves. And we were out in the middle of this ocean that we had never been on before and that we knew nobody who'd ever been on this ocean. Right. And we're in a little tiny life raft that is being hit from all sides mm-hmm. by waves. And we can't get out. There is no getting out. We're in it, and my husband and I are trying to do it together. But as you know, sometimes men and women handle things completely differently. And most of the marriages end in divorce. Mm -hmm. And we separated for a period of time. Not because we wanted to get a divorce, but because we just didn't like each other. And the last thing we needed at that moment was was to try to help one another. We needed to kind of help ourselves. So I now have PTSD. And I, if my husband drops a pot in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. you... I jump. Mm-hmm. I mean, my blood pressure jumps. It is crazy how um, anxious I will get over a dropped pot, you know. It's a loud um, noise. Yeah. If a police car goes by <clears throat> our street and I see it out my kitchen window if I'm doing dishes and I see the cop car go by, I have to walk out of the house and look to see if he kept going or if he's going to stop at my house. Yikes. You know, and that's, and, you know, we see police cars all the time, Mm -hmm. but I have so much anxiety that's wrapped up in that. And you you have, you've had some legitimate things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just a a couple of months ago, something terrible happened and I can't talk too much about it because there's lawyers involved and that kind of thing. So I'll be able to talk about it eventually. But I just can't believe that, you know, once again, we find ourselves in a situation where we are needing to get support. And once again... (laughs) 
we don't really have the support of our of our family. We're not involved in a church. Mm-hmm. We don't have kind of, you know, yeah. and and it's hard. It's hard. And so, you know, when you have PTSD, one day you're crying, the next day you're mad, the next day you're, um, you know, tired and you just need to go to bed. So it's a really, it's a really challenging experience. And um, I just, I just can't, I just can't emphasize enough the fact that we humans need one another. Yeah. Because I don't need somebody to solve my problem. Absolutely not. You need someone to listen and to be there and to, to w- walk beside you yeah. while you're walking through it. Yeah. You know? and, and people people love to tell the story like of Job from the Bible. So this is something that Christians love to do. Christians love to, <laughs> they, they love to use the Bible to say, well, you know, if so-and-so survived it, so could you. Right. You know, and well, look at what Job went through. So Job is somebody that God people, is testing you. <laughs> God is testing you. Because and he God loves has you allowed, more. Right, right. And God has allowed <laughs> this to happen to you. And, and how blessed must you be that you are... Walking you know, through the fire. Walking through the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I, okay, but Job had three friends who initially, now, they weren't always perfect. They did kind of say, what did you do, Job? Yeah. What did you do to cause this? Because apparently you pissed God off. <laughs> but before they got to that point, and I, they, I'll finish my thought. Um, before they got to that point, they just sat with him. They just sat with him for like three days mm-hmm. and just sat with him. And there are times when, gosh, it would be so awesome to just have somebody sit there. Mm-hmm. But we're busy people and, you know, it's hard right. to just sit there with somebody. Um, but I do love that the friends, you know, then they kind of said, you know, what did you do? That kind of thing. And even Job's wife. Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, why don't you just curse God? Because the belief was that if you curse God, you would die mm-hmm. immediately. Right. And so Job, of course, he, you know, that's not something he wanted to do. And so people are always talking about Job's wife. Gosh, she was just not very supportive, was she? But think about it. She lost her children and her home mm-hmm. and her security, mm-hmm. just and, like Job did. Right. And her health. And And her health and all of them. And she's watching her husband sit covered in sores after having lost his home and his children and his crops. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that her words were coming from a place of deep, deep pain. pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much in that book that gets glossed over right you know like what you're saying you know we don't necessarily ever consider what she could have been going through right you know it's always about him which i mean the story is about him but you're right you don't really we don't ever hear that perspective yeah you know so you can't talk about it because it's it's recent and stuff but how have you been dealing with the ptsd that you've been feeling come up and how do you deal with yours? Like when, when you, I mean, I have certain things that I do personally when I do get a trigger. And like I said, I've been kind of triggered up the last several days. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you do to, to calm yourself down, I guess? You know, it's really, um, it, it's especially difficult during the pandemic and during a time when I, there's, there's certain fallbacks that I have that are not there. So I'm grateful that the gym is open. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I can go for long walks. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, so I can just kind of uh, detach, put those headphones in and just kind of detach from what's going on. So uh, I've been sewing a lot. I mean, a lot. I love that skirt. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I created a skirt out of an old pair of pants. Yeah, yeah. So I have been sewing, and I took some curtains down, and I love the fabric. So I'm making myself a blouse out of the fabric from curtains that were hanging in one of our rooms. So it's going to be like Carol Burnett. I'm going to put the rod in, and I'm going to walk down the (laughs) staircase and say, frankly, my dear. Um, no, I just saw these hanging in the window. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so that that really helps. But you know, before the pandemic, um, what I would do, my solace, my place of peace and love and you know compassion mm-hmm. was the theater that's yeah. where I went even if I wasn't in a show but I was just going there to greet people mm-hmm. and, and kind be, of be in the community be in so the to, community so yeah. yeah and separate myself from myself mm-hmm. and just um, be there to smile and greet uh, other people I remember doing a play I was doing Steel Magnolias many years ago and I was playing Truvy and of course most of you know the story of Still Magnolias, but it's about a, a mother who loses her daughter to diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing this play, and in the middle of this play is when the first of several traumatic things happened to our family, and it involved one of my children. And so here I am every night having to go to the theater and do this play mm-hmm. about a mother who loses her child. And I mean to tell you, (laughs) it was incredibly cathartic Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. But every single night when my character was required to cry, I had no problem with those tears. They came right out. Right. I Um, bet. I bet. Yeah. So it was... It has been, it has gotten me through a lot. I was in the middle of directing a show once when we were in the middle. We almost lost another one of our children. And I was directing a show. And, um, you know, I only missed one rehearsal. Wow. I only missed one. And it, it was just because these people, they weren't, we weren't talking about the trauma. Mm-hmm. We weren't, um, I wasn't vomiting information to them. Um, many of them don't even know, you know, to this day. They mm-hmm. don't even know what we were going through. But they just know that there was something But they knew that there on. was something. Mm-hmm. And they just were there. Like yeah. Job's friends, they just mm-hmm. were there. Mm-hmm. And they did their job and they let me do my job. And that feeling of normalcy of of being just a person and right. not being a person who's going through a traumatic event but just being a person right is is what I do and so this right now is kind of a difficult time so I've just been spending a lot of time sewing yeah. and um sewing yeah. and, <laughs> and a little bit of painting you've been painting a little bit of painting nice yeah but mostly sewing it you uh reminded me of um I don't know if any of our viewers, you know this show. There's a show called The Last Five Years. Yeah. It's a two-person show. It's all sung, just a very, very, very little dialogue. And um, it's about a breakup and, well, it's about a relationship, a five-year relationship. And what's so, it's brilliantly written in that the woman sings the show from the breakup backwards to when they first meet. And the man sings the show from when they first meet forward to the breakup. And the only time that they're really together on stage and have any interaction is in the middle of the play where they get married. Right. And I was going through a divorce when I was was doing that show. And I re- and you did it with a younger man. I did who it with was a incredibly a talented, much younger man, who <laughs> was fabulous, by the way. Yeah, who comes yeah. from a long uh, legacy of talent. Yes, that, he that young yes, man. Yes, he does. Yeah. So I, uh, that just made me think of that, you know, and right how it you it was a lot easier to draw, right from you know what was going on when you're in the middle of your own actual reality. It's like art. What's the saying about life imitates art? It imitates art. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I I really believe and you know, I've said this before, I will say it again. I believe that bad things happen to good people so that good people can be empathetic mm-hmm. and can be there for other people when bad things happen to them. Yeah. And if we forget, you know, uh, what has happened to us, if we forget our past, then we lose our opportunities to be empathetic and to love on other people. And I think a lot of people will say the words, get over it, Mm -hmm. which are quite honestly the most 
the ugliest words in the yeah, it's worse. It's worse than the F word. It is it's worse than the F word, people. It is. It is. I would rather you tell me that you never want to see me again than to tell me to get over it. Right. I remember my husband and I sitting on a couch and crying to some family members about a situation that was very, very hard for us. And someone said that. He's, yeah, from the other side of the couch. He literally leaned forward and looked at me and raised his voice and said, get over it. Wow. And that, at that moment, I sat back and I said, I'm done. I'm done. You know, this is not, this is not a safe space. This is not uh, somebody that's going to be like one of Job's friends and just sit there with me, right. you know. Right. And, but let's, let's look at his perspective or look at the, the people, well, the and, perspective of the people who say that. And honestly, I'm really glad you're saying that because I think that that really, really goes along with how we heal and how we end up changing our thoughts and be able, being able to catch our triggers before they spiral us down is by having the ability to go, wait a minute, okay, what's, what, how is the, that other person seeing it? And being able to right. see their perspective. So, so what? Well, I think of Job's wife mm-hmm. who said, why don't you just curse God and die? Mm-hmm. She was coming from a place of pain. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people, when they give you faulty advice mm-hmm. or when they appear to be less than kind mm-hmm. or they appear to be insensitive, it's coming from two places. Number one, they themselves are afraid mm-hmm. or they themselves just don't know what to do. Right. You know? Right. And so, and so they say whatever. Yeah cliche, you know, stupid thing that comes to their head. They think that they're being helpful. Um, I remember hearing a pastor friend of mine one time, uh, he was the choir director, so we're all sitting in choir, and you know, prior to, uh, during our choir rehearsals, which sometimes even in your choir, they're very short rehearsals, but sometimes you will share something that somebody's going through and say, hey, guys, you know, so-and-so, you know, had a diagnosis or whatever. So that it's an opportunity for us as a group to mm -hmm. love on those people, to pray for them, to send them a a card, whatever. Yeah. Right. So the same thing Mm -hmm. happens in this church choir situation where somebody will, you know, share um, something that's going on and ask you to kind of remember them in your thoughts and prayers, right? So... The choir director, one of the women in our choir, had tried for a very long time to get pregnant. And she was pregnant with four babies. She had had in vitro, and there were four babies inside of her. And, of course, she was beyond thrilled. Sure. She was beyond thrilled. And on her way home from church one Sunday, they were broadsided in a car accident. And she lost she lost her babies. Ugh. So when we hear this story in choir and the choir director says, this is what has happened to our young friend, Mm -hmm. you know, love on her. Mm -hmm. Um, He also followed that up with, I know that some of you will be tempted to say something, you know, biblical or something Mm -hmm. religious, like, Mm -hmm. you know, God's got this or God's in control or whatever. And he said, don't, just don't. Because now is not the time right. to to twist this into some sort of, right. you know, glory kind of moment. That time may come down the road. But right now, she's in pain. Mm-hmm. You know, something that she's wanted for so long is now not going to happen. Right. Um, you know, she did end up having yeah. babies, by the way, <laughs> down the road. Yeah. So she did end up having babies. But you're right. But but I just thought that that was wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is wisdom. That's I mean, we all need to take that to heart because it's so easy sometimes to just want to give some kind of a easy pat answer. Yeah. When and I think I think we do that more when we're younger. I mean, I don't know. I can. I'm. I'm remembering and just there's just a handful of things that I feel like I wish I wouldn't have said. They came from a good. They place. came from a good place, but I, in retrospect, now looking back, I think. That probably wasn't the most sensitive thing I could have said, right? You know, and um, but I think now, as I'm older, now I I get that, yeah. you know, especially if you're like a young Christian person, 
you know, it's really easy because you're all excited about your new faith. And it's really easy to, to say something that is going to come off sounding, you know, not loving. Right. And, right. and so, yeah, we've all sort of, I mean, I've been on both sides of that where I know, like I told you a handful of times I've said it. And then I have too. I someone... absolutely have. And I know, you know, sometimes I wish that I could just go back and undo some of the stupid things that I said and, you know, some of the insensitive things or things that I thought at the time were mm-hmm. completely sensitive. Yeah. You know, and, and then you then... go, oh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I, I am reminded of a time where I don't know if I even shared this on a, on one of our episodes, but at a funeral where someone really, really close to me passed away. And most of the people that, well, I don't know about most, but a lot of the people there, Christian people. Mm-hmm. And, and someone approached me um, and said something to the effect of, you know, well, I sure hope that he's going to be in heaven. I sure hope he's in heaven. So, something, to, have I said that on this? No, yeah. no. And, uh, but I suspect that I know who the person was that passed away. You probably do. Uh-huh. And, and um, that the person I know who, who said that, I know where, again, like you just said about whoever was on the couch and leaned forward and said, get over it. Mm-hmm. I know this person came from a good place. I know that this person was very concerned about this young man's salvation, salvation or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I went home horrified that someone's even thinking like that at someone's service that was so, so sad. Right. You know, right. and and it's bothered me for a long time. And I've wondered, you know, you know, it, would that be an opportunity to say something to that person? Mm-hmm. But I never have. And now it's been years and right, years. Right. But sometimes I wonder if we're not presented an opportunity to say to a person, hey, that maybe you might think about what what you just said. Well, and it's kind of like what you told me about your apology person. Right, right. I had somebody send me an apology, which was so appreciated and so welcome. And she said that she recognized that she had said some things that had probably hurt me. And she is so um, sorry that she said those things. And she just wanted me to know that she had grown to a place where she understood that she had hurt me. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, of course, I immediately said, thank you so much for this. I, um, I, I absolutely accept your apology. But a couple of days later, I actually had a dream about her. And here's the thing, is that she said some things over the course of several years, she and a couple of other people, by the way, who have been in the same sort of mindset Mm -hmm. of you need to do this, you need, you need, you need, you know, as opposed to, hey, what do you need? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, you need this. You've got to do that. Yeah. And those are hurtful things when you're in the middle of trauma or you're in the middle of a crisis. You don't need somebody to tell you you need to do X, Y, Z when we're already just trying to keep our head above water. Absolutely. And so I had a dream that, um, you know, without being too specific, I just had a dream that she was kind of hovering over me and my kids were saying, get away from her, mom, get away from her. And so in my dream, it was very, yeah, she was just sort of hovering. I don't even know how else to to describe it. And my kids were saying, get away, get away. (laughs) And so I just wanted her to know. So I sent her a little note and I said, I just need you to know that I had a dream about you. And um, I want you to know that your testimony to my kids was not the most positive testimony and that because what you did was you criticized their mother. You mm-hmm. you hurt their mother. Mm-hmm. And so you believe that you're a good person and that you want people to be led to the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your thinking is. But the way you actually treated me repelled my children right. as opposed to drawing them right. to something loving. And so I just want you to know that your testimony goes beyond your little bubble. It goes to 
my children and it goes to other people right. who see how you treat people. Right. So I said, you don't need to respond I, because I have forgiven you. And, and I think sometimes people think, well, if you've forgiven me, why do you talk about it? Well, because there's still some things to talk about. Yeah. So. Exactly. Right. And being in relationship with someone requires a conversation. Mm -hmm. That's how you have relationship. Mm -hmm. So you can apologize to somebody and then never be in relationship with them. Right. And the apology is fine. The forgiveness is good. Mm -hmm. It's healing for everybody. But uh, not being willing to change how you interact with that person means that there's not going to be a relationship. Right, right. Uh, so, and so sometimes, that's really and, hard. and sometimes that's the healthy thing. And that is because you put up your boundaries and right. that kind of thing. Right. So, I, I want, I want people to know what I want people to know from our conversation here is that sometimes when you see people and you are tempted to say something to them whether it's via social media or whether it's in a grocery store when you're looking at somebody. Um, I just want you to know that there's so much more going on mm-hmm. in all of our lives That's exactly right. than anybody knows. That's I mean, exactly I don't care right. how well you know somebody, there's still there's things all... that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I would want people to come away today from our talk because we've sort of talked about many different little things here today um that you know you can recover from ptsd yeah you can but it takes a lot of hard work and and to just give yourself grace if you're in that process if you're in recovery for traumas or different things from childhood or as a grown-up you know to give yourself grace and to give yourself patience and time because you know, you, you, you can recover. And every, every psychologist, everybody will say that the, that the best way to recover from PTSD actually is to tell your story, is right. to talk about it. Whether you're just writing in journals mm-hmm. or blogging or talking like mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. Uh, you know, not everybody wants to hear your story, but talking about it does help to heal you. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just, like I said, just journaling. Yeah. So... So tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Just talk about it. Mm-hmm. One more quick thing. I, there was on social media, this somebody posted a picture of a young man full of holes. <laughs> he had piercings in every uh, single I'm spot like, you can. Full of holes. What does that mean? <laughs> he had piercings everywhere and great big holes here. And he had tattoos and that kind of thing. And somebody said, what is the first thing you think of when you see this face? And a few people had some less than kind things to say. Mm-hmm. And my response was simply worthy of love. When I see him, I think he's worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He just is, you yeah. know. And because so, everybody is. Because everybody is. Mm-hmm. And so if you are on social media and you see pictures like that and your first response is, well, he's going to hell. Or, right, right. <laughs> Or he's, you know, clearly unloved by his mother or whatever. Take take a step back. Think of Job's friends. Um, that's a human. Yeah. That's a human. Who has a story. Who has a story. And we story. have no idea what that person has been through. Right. No idea. I think our the insurrection on the 6th, I think that the Asian attacks, the attacks on Asians, all of that comes from a place of not taking the time to understand. Mm-hmm of looking at other people and being afraid or yeah. being judgmental. Yeah. So let's just let's just take a minute. Just take a minute. A minute or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or five. And you've got a story. Everybody yeah. has a story. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to share your story, you can get in touch with us at we dance with skeletons at mm-hmm. gmail.com mm-hmm. or uh, dancingwithskeletons.net. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear your story. We really would. And and we love you. We love you. Do. I don't care what your story is. I want to hear it. I, we do. We want to hear it. Because um, we love you. Yep. Yeah. Right. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.